Hello and welcome to Lodcast. Thanks to all our guests so far, but mainly thank you to you, our listeners and subscribers. We really appreciate your time and support, and I hope you take away something valuable from each episode that we do. My name is Mark Dodd, and I work for LOD, a global leader in alternative legal services. At the bottom of the show, you can hear a bit more about LOD, or you can visit our website, lodlaw.com, to find out more. Today's episode is focused on bringing business thinking into the world of in-house counsel. To guide us through this topic, I was thrilled to speak with Dr. Catherine McGregor. Catherine is an author, consultant, and a leading thinker on the legal market, and particularly on the role of the general counsel, the future of the profession, and inclusion in law. So without further ado, here's Catherine. By way of introduction, can you tell our listeners a bit about who you are and what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I'm at the moment, I'm a consultant and content creator working mainly um, in the legal profession. Um, I've been doing that running my own company for for just over two years. Um, I suppose one of the most interesting things about me is that prior to moving into uh, the legal legal industry, um, I was actually a, a drama and performance teacher for, for um, probably about six years. Um, and I then really fell into uh, law by accident. Um, I got a, um, a job which was meant to be temporary at the London-based um, publishers, Chambers and Partners, um, but ended up staying there for over six years and becoming managing editor, um, which led me into my interest in in-house lawyers um, and um, the way in which they're interacting with the profession. Um, what I think has been come clearer to me over the last few years, particularly since running my own business, is how my earlier experience in uh, teaching and and in performing has really sort of informed what I do, particularly in the terms of um, uh, focusing on creative ideas um, and um, also the idea of using uh, training, um, but also focusing in my writing a lot in terms of how you take ideas and turn them into action, which, let's let's face it, is really at the heart of drama. You take something off a page in a play script and, and turn it into a, a real-life event. So so actually that sort of movement from theory into practice is, uh, is, is, is really still informing what I do, funnily enough. That's, uh, that's It's really interesting to speak to people who've had uh, such different avenues into law. I think it often brings uh, different perspectives and lenses, which can be really helpful, particularly, as you say, around creative thinking. Um, so the episode today is very much going to be focused on your on your new book, uh, which is called Business Thinking in Practice for In-House Counsel. And I just wanted to read the testimonial uh, from Karen Dillon, who is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review, just to set the scene a little bit. So she says... This is a must-read for any in-house counsel who wants to lead their department into the future. Catherine McGregor offers excellent insights and thought-provoking perspective about blending traditional business thinking with best-in-class in-house counsel practices. This book is an essential guide. Now, apart from being a lovely glowing review, I was wondering why do you think there was a, was a need to write this book? Do you think in-house counsels or in-house lawyers have been sceptical of business thinking? 
Um, no, I'd actually say the opposite. Um, I was surprised um, in a previous uh, role when I was editing um, the, the magazine, GC magazine, uh, for in-house lawyers, at how receptive most in-house counsel, particularly mm-hmm. uh, the more senior ones, were around business ideas. Um, and I suppose the rationale in writing it is is to, to some extent to provide um, uh both an, an easier way to maybe engage with some of these um, these concepts or an introduction to some of these concepts if you've not read some of the, the texts from which they originally emanate, but also showing uh, in-house lawyers the way in which other peers are actually practically using some of these ideas to change what they and, and their legal departments do, uh, sort of showing folks that, you know, if you're interested in a concept like purpose, you're not alone and other colleagues are potentially using that to actually drive things. So it might actually inspire some of the some other lawyers to think, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually do something with this rather than just thinking about it or, or reading a book. I mean obviously as well, um, many of these ideas, like if we take a concept like leadership, that's not something that's generally covered in uh legal training as, as it is at the moment in um, law degrees or, or indeed the postgraduate legal qualifications. So many mm-hmm. lawyers, when they um, come into their first leadership role, whether that's in private practice or indeed um, in an in-house legal team, they're, they're actually doing quite um, an intense, time-consuming, high-level role and trying to grasp Oh, how do I become a leader? How do I, you know, sort of maybe bring different skills on that um, that I need at this point, such as you know, inspiring my team, having influence. So, you know, this 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 book is really designed to introduce them to some of those concepts, but also provide an idea of look, this is how other people are using them. Um, give a bit of inspiration. Um, I mean, I could see my book as actually being a springboard to perhaps get readers who haven't engaged with with some of the more um, you know business focused texts on these ideas to actually think you know what that book the sound of that book really resonates with me I'm going to go and actually check it out and read it in full yeah great that's it's really interesting to understand the motivation uh, behind the book and, and how it how it can help um, readers the the subheading of the book I'm really interested in so it says taking your seat at the table is this getting at the idea of legal departments becoming better at business partnering or is it more specifically looking at general counsels interacting with the, the C-suite? Um, actually, I think both are, are really uh, included in the, the subhead subtitle um, and, um, you know, both are covered to different extents in the book. Um, I think, you know, looking at some of these ideas, uh, these, these, these are quite big picture big concept business ideas I'm dealing with which in many ways are often to do as much with the skills of being a human in an organization as opposed to necessarily being about you know strictly business or finance or law per se um, it's really really apt for anyone who's a human in an organization um, but I think you know lawyers traditionally in-house have often felt sometimes like, you know, they're not seen as so central to strategy. Um, And obviously, that depends in the organisation they're in. But I know that many general counsel now are very keen 
to have a much more strategic place in terms of um, you know being part of the executive and um, being part of the c-suite um, but also that that many folks um, in legal departments are seeing that there's a lot more advantage to really collaborating being involved laterally with other departments as opposed to sort of legal being seen whether through their own choice or through other people's stereotypes as this sort of ivory tower off on their own somewhere that you only deal with at the very last minute in a deal or um, a piece of strategy to check that you're not actually breaking any laws. I think increasingly organisations, businesses are seeing that it's great to have lawyers involved from the start and there's a real um, appetite I think from from many general counsel if not most general counsel now to to work in that way so that that movement was really informing um, you know the, the subtitle of the book and I'm, I deal with you know both aspects both the collaboration with other teams within an organization but also potentially you know um, suppliers outside of your organization that's a really important aspect of collaboration as well but also as well in in terms of how you might want to reframe your role as a general counsel your role as an in-house lawyer um, and your entire legal department's role in terms of you know um, engaging more with the c-suite excellent and what i think is really great um, about your book is that it's filled with practical case studies. So you've got case studies from from Schlumberger and RBS to DXC Technologies and the Crown Estate. Um, can you perhaps take our listeners through one of these case studies to highlight the kind of insights that you've collected? Yeah, sure. And I mean, it was, as I mentioned at the beginning, Mark, it was really important for me to sort of have that, it not just be talking about concepts, but look, this is is how we did it. And, you know, to also get down to a bit of the nitty gritty that sometimes these things aren't always plain sailing. You don't just take um, an idea and and it, it sort of goes smoothly into this transformation that there can be different stages along the way. So um, I think I've tried to bring that out in, in a number of the, the case studies. Um, uh, for example, I mean, DXC is... is I think quite a well-known um, case study generally from the press that they got um, when they did the tie-up with United Lex. But I mean, in terms of what they did, um, I, I, I've tried to go into a lot more detail than perhaps some of the um, original press stories. Um, look at the a lot of the drivers behind it. And in fact, the fact that there were very difficult decisions that had to be made um, and that this was one way of dealing with some of those very difficult decisions. And I, I think it's interesting in, in terms of that while I focus on that case study as, as being very exemplary of both collaboration and innovation, that really what that legal team did encompasses almost every concept in the book and, and then some. Um, they needed a really strong sense of purpose, which was stimulated, as I said, by these pretty stringent needs to cut costs and headcount. Um, and they were literally, as given that it was a result of a merger, creating a new culture. But I think that what was very key as well was the, the very strong and visionary leadership of, of their general counsel, Bill Deckelman, um, and the, the way in which the team collaborated to create 
this new kind of model, thinking very differently, thinking very collaboratively, um, is still a, it's an interesting template and it, it is going to be, you know, I think we may well see more of that uh, with, with other in-house teams as, as the cost of legal tech can still be prohibitive for many in-house teams. You know, we, we're often heard about, you know, technology is going to be the future of law and save costs, but initially onboarding a lot of this stuff is not always um, that cost-effective to do, which can be a big barrier if you if you have limited budgets. Um, so that the partnership allowed the team access to to this much enhanced technology stack. But a, a lot of what the case study actually focuses on is 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 some of the human side around this. You know, the fact that that they had to do a lot of work around coalescing the team around the purpose and, and really looking at their talent strategy to ensure that that they had not just the right skills but also the right mindsets for, for what they were looking to do. Um, and I, I think what's been you know interesting about that is that the team were quite willing to talk about the fact that you know it, it was difficult at times. It, it wasn't always easy. Um, you know I think Bill Deckelman's been quite open about that but I, I still think it's a it's a it's a really interesting you know interesting achievement um to look at and similarly the the case study on on Pearson you know that that is a case study around culture but there were some you know difficult decisions that had to be made around around that in fact the the impetus for that team looking at their culture was really almost like why do we exist? Why does the company still need us? What what is unique to us? And I think that that kind of um, soul searching is is sometimes uh, you know what what causes legal teams to look at quite innovative um, structures or you know different ways of doing things and, and really focus on on what they're adding to their organisation rather than the historical stereotype of of, of being a cost centre. Um, I'd, I'd also point out that, you know, while a lot of the teams I discuss in the book are larger, um, I do also have the Crown Estate in there, which um, for, for those international listeners who may not be as, uh, as familiar with, with the, the, this group, it's essentially the Sovereign Wealth Fund for the, for the, for, for the, for the UK, it, uh, that they manage the, the estate of of, of the Queen. So, um, you know, as their general counsel said to me, they were one of the few organisations where they, you know, their, their training starts with a, the story starts at 1066, which you can't say about many companies. <laughs> um, but they're also quite a small legal team. In fact, they have to outsource about 90% of their work, you know. So purpose as a, a means of inspiring the team to get things done and to do things differently was was very very central to to what they did but as are ideas like collaboration and innovation because it's um you know it's a model that just only works if it's about really working together with their outside suppliers not actually you know it's it's uh, you know that it's about just giving as much money to to say external law firms as possible there's got to be a lot of thought behind it to make it as effective as, as possible for for the organization great that's that's really helpful and i think the the kind of breadth and depth of the case studies is something which um readers will find really useful 
Um, when you were writing this book, were you surprised by anything in, in your research or the conversations that you had, anything really that, that struck you as quite different or, or surprising? Um, I suppose I was surprised at how symbiotic most of the concepts and indeed that the stories were that actually it's almost like if you're looking at one of the it you can't you almost can't look at one of these concepts in isolation because it starts you thinking about the others it's sort of like a ripple effect no matter where you start um you know and and that was quite interesting in terms of figuring out how to order the book because uh, at first I thought it would almost be a very logical progression oh you start with purpose and then you know you work on culture and then leadership and you know eventually it's almost like when you've got a lot of these things in place you end up with with being able to innovate um and I found it wasn't really as as clear-cut as that because you know something like purpose and culture and leadership and talent they're all very intertwined so I actually came you know embrace that and and you know one of the things I say in the the introduction to the book is look you know you can read this book sequentially or you can dip in and out it's really not going to make that much difference but you've got to be aware that that these concepts do bleed into one another um, essentially because they are as I've said all about really being human in, in an organization mm. um, and um that, I think that surprised me as well at how much it really came down to this narrative about essentially being human <laughs> and uh, a lot of the emotional uh, emotional human skills as, a, as, a, as opposed to, you know, that uh, while I cover technology to some extent in the book, I wasn't writing as much about technology um, as I thought I might be at the beginning. Um, and, you know, I, I do the more you know by the end of the book it became really clear to me that while technology will be important to the legal profession as as a tool it's really the skills the human skills that set us apart from technology that will be more key particularly in a profession like law where it's really um, a knowledge-based profession and and I suppose that personally what was was interesting to me was um, I was surprised at how it often seemed relevant to reference my past life in drama and, and possibly not that many legal books have a, a reference to Euripides' Medea in them. But, um, but uh, yeah, it, it just seemed to me to sort of, because I was often advocating how thinking differently could be an advantage and, uh, you know, skills like creativity, that it, that it seemed completely pertinent to reference um, my own background in, in the creative arts and show perhaps how there, when you're taking an idea and turning it into uh, an actuality, you don't always need um, unlimited resources and unlimited time, that actually sometimes it's, it, you know, having limitations can actually spark more interesting uh, creativity and indeed innovation than if you've, if you've got the luxury of of too much resourcing, too much money, and too much time. <laughs> That's uh, fascinating. I mean, you're mentioning Medea just took me back to year 10 English, but uh, we won't go into that right now. Uh, um, so we've got three more questions today. And so this kind of the third last question is really around um, influential business thinking that, that doesn't really apply or translate well into the in-house legal environment. Because 
the kind of overriding the overriding theme of the book is looking at modern business practices and and how in-house teams can apply them. Were, were there any ones which which just wouldn't apply or, or translate well? Um, well, I I didn't find any, but I suppose I was purposely looking for the ones that had already throughout my previous career. Um, you know, as a as a as a writer um, and, and a, a content creator for profession that had seemed to resonate incredibly well, particularly with with in house lawyers. Um, and I mean, I think that you know there are obviously other fundamental business skills um, on the more sort of you know hygiene side of business, such as uh, you know basic financial competency, which. Um, are skills that often I think in-house lawyers do need, but I, but I'm not covering those in in, in the, this book. I'm looking more at those business skills that have been inspirational in strategy for business, as opposed to you know the sort of day-to-day uh, business skills. Um, uh, I mean, I haven't found any yet, but um, but then I, I suppose I was going with a particular you know sort of uh, using many years of discussion with with in-house lawyers um to test out what what really resonated um and uh you know i suppose it was very much that the the focus of those discussions were always coming back to ideas like culture like talent like the importance of leadership skills great and and so what do you think stops in-house legal leaders from applying or, or at least experimenting with with modern business practices um I think it's probably a number of things. I, I think often it's time um, and it's fear that they're stepping outside of their swim lane. And I think that can very much depend on what stage in your career you're at and what sort of organisation you're in. Um, I think, however, many people might already be applying some of these concepts without always thinking about it or formally linking them to some of the way that they've been used um, more widely in uh, in business, or or indeed some of the writers and thinkers who who I reference in this book. So I, I I think that you know people may be using these ideas almost without sometimes putting a name on it. Um, I mean, for example, if you think about you know the importance of thinking about educating as opposed to prevention in terms of 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 organizations and you know compliance and and trying to get people to do the right thing that is very much linked to culture maybe you're not you're not always calling it culture at first but the more you think about it you may start to think actually this is about how do we create a culture that that is going to you know people are going to have the right behaviours happening um, organically without having to be told that's wrong or don't do that or so forth. Um, And I think that sometimes being able to explicitly make the link to perhaps business thinking and ideas that have been more widely influential could be helpful for in-house lawyers um, if perhaps uncharitable colleagues don't understand your idea or are trying to put you back in your swim lane or the little box they want to keep legal stereotyped in. Uh, I mean, for example, you know, if you're being told, well, you know, why why is legal why is the legal team thinking about purpose? Um, you know, well, you know, I think the whole company should be thinking about purpose. And really, uh, colleague, if you don't think we should consider what our wider purpose as a company is, well, then maybe not, because it it hasn't worked out that well for Apple, the first company to be valued at over. <laughs> 
one trillion dollar habit um or you know alternatively you think working on our culture is a waste of time that that kind of goes contrary to that harvard business school study which showed that companies with a strong culture increased their profit over 10 years by 765 percent so you know um perhaps some of these uh being able to uh you know root some of things that you want to do as a legal department into ideas that you can show that other companies are using at a whole corporate wide strategic level might might also help you if you're you're trying to you know get that idea to gain more traction either either with your team or or indeed with 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 wider colleagues throughout your throughout your organization excellent um so we're up to our last question, and, that, and that's yeah, we, we we got that. I'm sure we could talk uh, for many more hours, but uh, we do need to to wrap up shortly. And the last question is this: uh, based on your experience in working closely with many leading GCs around the world, do you have any tips for success for in-house lawyers? Any traits that you see repeated across successful GCs? Um, I think really it comes back to the human skills. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the most successful GCs I know are able to think quite big picture. You know, they're able to realise that they are a lawyer, that's their skill set, that's their specialism, but not let that completely define them and to be able to, you know, think outside of just the remit of their particular legal team Um, and I think you know a lot of things like empathy communication um, listening you know because I think sometimes we think communication is just about talking whereas there's a very big component about listening and really hearing what people are saying Um, also being able to influence others um, and that's those below you those above you and and those laterally to you Um, so I think really working on on many of the human skills is 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 very very key um and i think that's true of of any leader full stop whether they're a legal leader or 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 a business leader or a finance leader whoever they may be um i do think it's important to note that that in-house lawyers um do have a difficult one of the most difficult balancing acts i think in being able to think in this broader sense but as I said not lose your specific skill set and your specific focus as a lawyer and I think really the best GCs I've come across are able to do both simultaneously and not not sort of um, you know focus on one at the expense of the other I think being able to bring that legal and regulatory insight is still what's so valuable um but none of the concepts that I've discussed are, are counter to that. In fact, I would say often the contrary. I mean, for example, the more you work on your culture, the less instances of bad behaviour there should be. Um, and I think there's a, a, a quote from, from the, 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 the CEO of Airbnb where he essentially says that, you know, if you've got a great culture, you don't need as many rules because people are just doing the right thing automatically. Um for example, as well, lack of collaboration is what's caused some of the major corporate failings. If, if we look around the global financial crisis, you know, a lot of that was around people not talking to each other or being siloed off. And that was irrespective of some of these organisations having tons of lawyers, massive legal departments. But if folks don't know what's going on over here or 
the person over there isn't talking to this person over here. There can be some really weird things happening in in, in the shadows, um, and I, th- I think increasingly this risk management, this preventative stance, this being able to think big picture and, and look around corners, balanced with you know insightful application of, of legal and regulatory knowledge, is is really where in house lawyers are are adding the most value to their organisations and and really making a big difference. Great. Thanks so much, Catherine. It's been um, a very interesting listen and really great to hear more about your book. Um, I'll be I'll be adding a link to, to your book and all information about your work in, in the show notes. But it really just leads me to say th- thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you, Mark. It's been it's been great fun to to talk. I'm, I'm usually the person doing interviewing, so it's lovely to be the one being interviewed for a change. So thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lodcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Lodcast is brought to you by LOD. LOD pioneered the very first alternative legal service in 2007, and we continue to lead the exciting market we created. We support the best legal teams in the world with our brilliant legal professionals, services teams, processes, and technology. Together, we find new ways to boost the value that in-house legal teams deliver today, tomorrow, and into the future. So thanks again for listening, and if you have any feedback, please feel free to email lodcast at lodlaw.com. See you next time.